spinning around all the time, right? How did you keep from getting dizzy? How did you keep from getting dizzy? You just spun around, right? That's right. That's right. So, so she got dizzy. Uh, yeah. How do you keep from getting dizzy when you're spinning around? Doesn't that give you like whiplash? Keep your eyes on Jesus, and you'll be fine. Amen? Okay. So, let me look at something here. Um, somebody tell me what you think this is. Okay. Can, can anybody do better than that? It's, it's keep talking. Right? It's an, it's, so talk louder. It's an old church in Africa. Well, so it's, that's, you, you get, I don't think anybody's going to get any closer than that. So, <laughs> So we'll just move on from there. <laughs> okay. So this is an old church in Africa um, that, that has a unique construction pattern. Uh, it's sunk down or it's built up or something. There's something unique about the construction. And it's an old church and it's an old Coptic church in Africa. Okay. And so now I'll tell you the rest. This is Bet Georgis church or the church of St. George in Lalibela, Ethiopia. <clears throat> Have you been there, Ruth? Have you been there? Yeah, that's right. Ethiopia is uh, one of the oldest Christian nations in the world, in case you didn't know that. Um, uh, this is carved out of solid rock. Sitting, this, what's, what you're seeing now is what was left after they chopped and carved and pickaxed and chiseled all of the rock. This was, this was once a solid rock face. Uh, and it's completely hollowed out inside. It's one of 11 churches in Lalabella, Ethiopia that were constructed this way out of this giant quarry uh, to form the reference points for a, a rough map of Jerusalem. <clears throat> and the work is said to have started in approximately 1200 AD and taken 24 years with the help of angels. <clears throat> now, um, I'm just going to push this and make it do something. This is the inside of one of those, not the same church, but one another church. This is the inside of what was once a solid. It's like going out here to one of these granite outcroppings and then just cutting away anything that didn't look like a church. 
and then go inside and cut the doors and cut the windows and then keep on cutting and keep on cutting and keep going until it looks like this. Scholars think it's impossible that it was done in 24 years and no one knows how they were, how these were carved. Or and the big mystery is where did all of the excess rock go? Because usually in, and when you find archaeological ruins where there's been a lot of excavating, they haul all of the, the chopped away stuff and they dump it somewhere off site where it's not in the way, or maybe they, they reuse it in, in other situations. But nobody's been able to, to find what's left of a mountain. Uh, uh, it's just these churches. Um, but the, the testimony to the zeal of Ethiopian Christians to honor God. <coughs> and, uh, of course, there's a... Uh, there is a branch of Judaism uh, in Ethiopia, too, where they claim to have rescued and stored the Ark of the Covenant. Um, so, so Judaism predates Christianity in Ethiopia um, and supposedly goes back to like the Queen of Sheba when, when she came to visit Solomon and um, all of that. So lots of traditions. But you've got... Uh, the Ethiopian Coptic Church, which is not the same as the Egyptian Coptic Church, and then you've got Jews, and and you get stuff like this. <clears throat> so, what uh, today we're going to get a little bit of the rest of the story, not about how to build the church because nobody knows, nobody knows. The scholars are pretty united in their assumption that it had to have taken longer than twenty-four years, um, but we know this stuff existed by uh, before. There it is. And, uh, and that by, by the, th- the 1300s, it was all there and all done. Um, the rest only Jesus knows. Um, but there was a connection to our study of the book of Acts. And so let's keep, let's keep moving. Uh, remember, last time we were in the book of Acts was a few weeks ago. And the apostles had, from Jerusalem had sent some people to preach to the Samaritans and people got filled with the Holy Spirit and it was a huge deal and that's all they wanted their their top priority was okay so it's okay that people got saved the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God and they sent Peter and John they came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit for they had not the Spirit hadn't fallen on any of them they had simply been baptized they had accepted Jesus they had been baptized but they hadn't been filled with the the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit so this is chapter 8 uh so, um, so Peter and John went up there and started praying for people. They started receiving the Holy Spirit. Even uh, Simon the magician received the Holy Spirit. It was a huge, big deal. Uh, they, they began laying hands on them. They were receiving the Holy Spirit. Lives were instantly changed in one of the most hated regions for Jews uh, in that part of the world. Jews never went to Samaria. Samaritans never went to Jerusalem. They didn't speak to each other. It was like all the Democrats live up here, all the Republicans live down there. They don't do business with each other. They don't talk to each other. They stay away from each other. But then the Holy Spirit visited the Samaritans and the Jews went running up there to introduce them to Jesus. The Jewish Christians went up and made Samaritan Christians. And now they weren't Jews and Samaritans. Now they were just believers in Jesus. Wouldn't it be nice if there just weren't, there weren't just, if there weren't Democrats and Republicans, they were just believers in Jesus? That, that's the kind of miracle that happened there. 
uh, amazing, incredible. But uh, eventually it's time to go home. And so they had, after they had hung around for a while, they solemnly testified and spoke the word of God. Then they started back to Jerusalem. And they were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans on the way back home. So Samaria, Samaria the area what was known as Samaria, it's about 70 miles north of Jerusalem. Uh, so now they made their way back to Jerusalem, testifying to the Samaritans, to anybody who would listen, telling them the word of the Lord, telling them about Jesus. Uh, it was like they're taking a little victory lap, except an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now this is a desert road. So he got up and went. Um, You know, your life is really pretty simple when your only focus is hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit, obeying Jesus, and following the instructions of an occasional angel that just appears out of nowhere. Uh, So I guess I'm pretty sure that if an angel appeared to me and told me to get up and go to Lano, I would go. Uh, um, And I don't know whether... it It doesn't say anything about Philip's reaction. It doesn't say like, oh my goodness, I just saw an angel. It was just like, okay. Uh, so I'm going, I'm going to Gaza. Uh, the road from Jerusalem to Gaza, which is basically on the east coast. Gaza is one of the, actually one of the five cities of the Philistines. You know those, right? Um, Ashkelon and Ashdod and I mean, all those. There's the Philistines on uh, the days of uh, David and Saul had, and had five cities along the coast kind of roughly between what's now Haifa and um, up into Lebanon, Tyre, Lebanon and Tyre, um, that, were, um, that were very difficult to conquer. David eventually did it. Uh, so, but the road from Jerusalem to one of those cities is a desert road. What do we know about desert roads? <laughs> and... Very, they're deserted and dangerous. Uh, there's no place around to get help or hospitality. Uh, the, uh, when the, the, the story of the Good Samaritan takes place on a desert road going from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Uh, and there's places for bandits to hide. There's places for wild animals to hide. Um, this is here for a reason. It's it's creepy. Uh, and, and most people wouldn't travel a desert road by themselves. You join a caravan, a caravan uh, where you've got company, where you have uh, protection. But the angel said to Philip, I want you to go out into the desert. And Philip said, why not? I guess the angel said it, said it so it's going to be okay. Uh, so th- th- here's this little heads up. Uh, it's not at all unusual that after you've experienced a great victory or great breakthrough in your life that you 
and you think, now, finally, it's all coming together. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. It's all come together. It's going to be wonderful now. And the next day, you wake up, and you are in a desert. Um, somebody else ended up in a desert after having uh, a great event happen in their lives. Who are we talking about? Jesus, after he was baptized, the Holy Spirit, and he got filled with the Holy Spirit. This is, y'all... I'm just saying, to be prepared. Jesus was basically introduced to the world. He was baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist, and everybody saw the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus in the form of a dove. He, he was kind of, through the presence of the Holy Spirit, reunited with his Father for the first time. And a great victory, and the launch of his ministry, and then what we read, in like the very next sentence is, and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit filling Jesus, coming upon Jesus, and it says, the Spirit did what? Compelled him to go out into the desert, where he spent 40 days getting his nails done. It spent 40 days wrestling with the enemy. So I'm, I'm just telling you, sometimes you have a great breakthrough and you think, well, it's finally all come together and, and I've got this. I've, now, I, now I've figured this out. Now I know how to make prayer work. Now I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. Now I'm going to be a superhero. Uh, all these things that makes us feel like we're back in our comfort zone. There's it's a little tip about walking in with the Holy Spirit, walking in the spiritual life. God does not want you to be comfortable. God wants to be able to comfort you, but he does not want you to be comfortable. <laughs> And if you ever find yourself in a situation where it's like, finally, this is it. I've finally got it all together. Then you're going to be one of those people who said, I finally got it all together, but now I can't remember where I put it. Uh, It's because God doesn't want you to be comfortable. He wants you to cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. He wants to be able to comfort you. He wants to be able to encourage you. He wants your faith to be in Him, not in your ability to figure out a system to make, you know, like I finally figured out uh, how to beat the blackjack tables, right? I finally figured out how to beat, uh, finally figured out how to beat the, uh, a a system for roulette. Um, I finally... I've got a system now for how to, make, to pick the winning lotto ticket. I've got this. I've got this. No, Jesus doesn't want you to ever feel like you've got this. He wants you to always know that he's got you. Right? So, you know, don't be surprised when you end up in deserts because we were called to walk through deserts. And if you're in a desert right now, some that feels it's dry and exhausting, uh, then here's, here's some good news. 
you're there because God wants you to be there. And you are there because this is the place where you are going to encounter God's faithfulness. You're going to encounter his power. You are going to see his hand at work in your life in ways that you would never see it if you had figured it all out. If you're, if you're in the desert right now, you are closer to experiencing the glory of God than you have ever been. You just have to relax and let him finish doing what he wants to do in your life. So Philip said, oh, desert, awesome, let's go. And so he went off. He went off, got on the road to Gaza. Do, 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 do. Uh, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. So this isn't your run-of-the-mill Ethiopian dude walking around in the desert. Uh, he's uh, the chancellor of the exchequer for the kingdom of e- the, the queen of Ethiopia. He was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship because, because why? Because Ethiopia was, had a strong Jewish presence, and Ethiopians were going all the time uh, in those days to worship in Jerusalem because they were Jews. They were kind of a little quirky. They, being off in Ethiopia and so far away from Jerusalem, they had some of their own little unique doctrinal principles. But they, he was made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, just like all good Jews are supposed to do. He was on his way back home, and he's returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. And then the Spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. And again, Philip said, cool. Listen, when you're... One of the things that I admire about Philip here is that he's just constantly in yes, Lord mode. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. The Spirit touched, the angel appeared to him. Yes, Lord. The Spirit says to him, I'm wondering, this doesn't say, but my hunch is that if you are a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, and you are in charge of all her treasure, you are not traveling by yourself in the middle of the desert. This is a powerful government official attached to a powerful queen in a powerful, mysterious country. And I'm... I'm guessing that he had uh, a company of troops with him. Uh, because why wouldn't he be? It's not like, Queen Candace, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'll see you in a few days. And then he just gets on his little Kawasaki and g- takes off for, for Jerusalem. Uh, so, and so the Spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. What you have to... Envision is that this chariot is surrounded by armed guards who are there specifically to protect the treasure of the kingdom of Ethiopia from being accosted by mysterious strangers that are running up to them out of nowhere in the desert. But Philip just said, sure, why not? Uh, And Philip ran up. Now, here's another thing that's also not described. But because I always, always say is that Philip saw an Ethiopian sitting in his chariot. 
it doesn't say that the chariot was double parked. I mean, it doesn't say that, that, that the, he was just, Ethiopian was just sitting there uh, taking a break, just thumbing through Isaiah. So there's at least a likelihood that the chariot was moving, which would kind of explain why it says that Philip ran up because he had to run the chariot down. Um, in order, he had to catch the chariot um, so he could talk to the Ethiopian. So I think it's another interesting quality of Philip, which he doesn't say, he didn't say, God, I can't catch that chariot. Surrounded by troops, they're all, uh, they're still, they're half a mile ahead of me and they're making good time. You want me to actually run this chariot down? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what I want you to do. That seems impossible. That seems too hard. Uh, just do it. So he did. And as he ran up, dodging, I suppose, arrows and spears, uh, he heard Isaiah the prophet. He, he, he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, which is really cool. That means that Philip knew, really knew the Old Testament scriptures. It's not, it's not impossible, but it's a big challenge since he, he didn't own any scrolls. The only way he would have learned the book of Isaiah was to go to synagogue regularly and, and hear it read. But he, so he recognized that the prophet, uh, he was reading Isaiah the prophet, and he said, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian said, well, duh. How am I supposed to understand this unless somebody explains it to me? How is anybody going to understand, really understand, unless somebody explains it to them? How are those people that you're praying for going to understand if somebody doesn't explain it to them? How are all of these people who are lost and lost as a goose and acting like the devil, how are they going to understand the truth unless somebody explains it to them? Isaiah 53, this is a quote from Isaiah 53 he was reading. He was led as a sheep to slaughter and as a lamb before its shearers is silent. So, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation for his life is removed from the earth? Incidentally, Isaiah 53 is the most compelling, powerful, prophetic passage of the Old Testament that points directly to the coming of Jesus. Because if you read Isaiah 53, what you read is it's... it's the life and ministry of Jesus and the divine purpose of Jesus completely spelled out in Isaiah 53. And more than one Jewish person who's read, who either has to have somebody explain Isaiah 53 away or come to the conclusion that this is talking about Jesus and they are on the wrong side of the fence uh, because it is just compellingly powerful. So, that's, that's what he was reading, and then it's up to Philip to interpret it. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does this prophet say this, of himself or someone else? And then Philip says, I'm so glad you asked that question. And Philip opened his mouth. Now, this is, you would think is an, un, an unnecessary detail, right? <clears throat> But how often 
do we fail to effectively explain the gospel to somebody because we won't open our mouths? Now, some of you are really too good at opening your mouths, and you end up, you end up sticking things in there that doesn't belong. But, but there's got to be a happy medium here because you've got to open your mouth. You've got to take some initiative. You've got to explain the way of the Lord more clearly, especially when there's somebody and you, it's hungry and they're asking. And Philip didn't bother him at all. He opened his mouth and beginning from the scripture, he preached Jesus to him. He told him the story of Jesus. Y'all, it's been 2,000 years, a little over now. We still only have one message to tell people about Jesus, about who he is, what he's done, how much he loves us, how powerful his forgiveness is, how compelling his grace is. You just tell the story of Jesus. You just, and he, he didn't say to the, to the Ethiopian, you've got to clean your life up. You've got to get straight. You've been living a terrible life. You've been, you've been too attached to riches and you're not doing any good at all to God and you're, or you're following, you know, you went to Jerusalem and you shouldn't be going to Jerusalem. You should be doing this. You have to stop doing this and you got to start doing this. He just told them the story of Jesus and left the rest of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> and as they went along the road, so obviously the chariot is definitely moving now. It was probably always moving. He had to run up to catch it. They, uh, I don't know if he hopped on the back end or whether they stopped for him. But, but they, now the chariot has been moving this whole time. They've been having this conversation. Uh, the, the eunuch said, hey, look, water. What prevents me from being baptized? Nothing. What? In the middle of the desert, they found water. <clears throat> might have not been there the day before, might not be there tomorrow, but look, there's water. Holy moly. Hallelujah. <clears throat> look, there's water right here. What prevents me from being baptized? Nothing. <clears throat> the, uni- the, fil- the, the Ethiopian eunuch was touched to his heart. He immediately embraced the gospel and he was ready to take action. <clears throat> and sometimes... One of the most important things we can do is encourage people to take action when we're telling them about Jesus. Uh, no, just say, you know, don't, don't think about it for three or four weeks and then come back and we'll talk some more. Because uh, I don't want to be pushy and I don't want to make you uncomfortable. What, how does God feel about us being uncomfortable? He, he wants us to be uncomfortable. Sometimes, here's an interesting In sales, there's a, when you're trying to close a, a deal, there's a, there's a, a principle that goes like this. After you put your offer, you, you, first of all, you, you, you ask for a response. You made an offer and you, and you say, uh, here's what I'm offering you. What is your decision? And then the rule is this. The first person who speaks loses. You create what feels to a lot of us like a very uncomfortable silence. But when you're talking to somebody about Jesus, that uncomfortable silence is where the Holy Spirit's working in people's hearts. <clears throat> and anyhow, look, water, what prevents me being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Christ, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now you see those brackets 
just in case you're curious, those brackets indicate that this particular sentence isn't in the oldest of the oldest manuscripts of the book of Acts. That doesn't necessarily mean that it wasn't part of Luke's original. It just means that the oldest ones we can find so far, it isn't there. It, these didn't appear to like manuscripts from the 400s, I think. Um, but it does say this one thing is that it's, it appears early enough in the manuscripts we do have of, of the book of Acts to know that this was an important response that Christians all agreed upon. Uh, it's not like somebody stuck this in in 1890. This was early, 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 early in the days of the church. This, this phrase appeared. If you believe with all your heart, you can, because all, we want, all Jesus wants to know is, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Have you surrendered your life to him? Yes, I believe. So he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch. This isn't in most Presbyterian Bibles. Because um, in the Presbyterian Bibles, they said they got a little cup of water and poured it. No. <laughs> he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. End of story, right? No, not end of story. Great part of the story, not the end. Here's the end. When they come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. And the eunuch no longer saw him. So he just went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. Um, So... now, it's really interesting to, to, to hear some scholars try to explain <laughs> this passage, like what really happened. And so it's like, so when they came out of the water, maybe it was like that Philip heard the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, okay, Philip, our work here is done. Just leave a silver bullet and get on your white horse and go off into the sunset. I have another place to do. I want you to go to Azotus. And, and, and somehow Philip eventually got to Azotus. But that, this, that's not what this word means. It's, it's snatched. It's translated snatched for a reason because the, the word means to be forcefully, instantly taken away. It's like, uh, um, it's, this word is also used in the garden for when the soldiers showed up and they want to capture Jesus. They want to lay hands on Jesus. That's the same word. They intended to grab him and forcefully take him away. So the Holy Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. Um, It's in the Bible. That's all I can tell you. I don't know this ever happened to you, but first of all, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he's gone. And he, just, he was beamed up, and and the, the the eunuch is like, well, praise God, praise praise God. That's right. That's this is this 
because the, 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 the Ethiopian eunuch received Jesus, experienced this miracle, got back in his chariot, and went on his way rejoicing with a story to tell about his encounter with Jesus that transformed an entire country and inspired people eventually to carve buildings out of solid rock for however many years it took. You know, people are, are wondering, still kind of wondering about how the Egyptians built the temples. Well, I can kind of figure that out. You have a, if you have enough, you know, the, the pyramids, if you have enough people carve on big things of stone long enough and you put enough little round pieces of timber under, you can, you can eventually, with great expertise, stack them on top of each other. So that sounds really hard to me, but at least I can figure that part out. I have no idea. Nobody has any idea how buildings appeared out of, huge buildings appeared out of solid rock. But that's what the Holy Spirit inspired a whole nation to do in a response to hearing the gospel. No, it didn't even tell us his name. Um, they didn't have Snapchat, stuff like that. But that's... Uh, so this is just a day in the life. Of, this is a day in the life of what it ought to be walking with Jesus. The, the Ethiopian eunuch didn't appear to be surprised at all. Uh, he had a miraculous encounter with Jesus. His heart had been changed. He went on his way rejoicing. I, that was actually a good, in, a good tip for all of you. That, that little girl, that should be you. That should be you. Thank, you get up in the morning. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I love you, God. Is that you? Could that be you? Is there a little kid in you that loves Jesus that gets up and wants to do that? I love you, God. And you have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. That can be you spinning around in circles. Jesus, look what I can do. Look what I can do. Look what I can do. I love you, God. But Philip found himself at Azotus, which is at Ashdod, which is one of those, another one of those five uh, former Philistine cities. And as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he got to Caesarea. Uh, it's like my job's not any different now that I'm in Ashdod than it was when I was in the middle of the desert. My job is to just keep telling the story of Jesus. What's God's plan for your life? What's God's will for your life? Keep telling the story of Jesus. Maybe you won't get zapped up, um, but you run into people. You run into people who need to hear that story. We are all just divine hitchhikers. Philip hitchhiked a ride on that chariot. Then he kind of hitchhiked a ride on the Holy Spirit. He just went wherever the Holy Spirit was taking him. He heard the voice. He heard an angel. He heard the voice of the Holy Spirit. He had a, a pretty weird experience with the power of the Holy Spirit that 
brought him to a different place. But his mission and his focus was always the same. Just telling people about Jesus. I'm just, that's, I'm, you know, we, we, I think we ought to think it, at this. We ought to assume at any time you are anywhere. Especially if God brings you in contact with somebody that you don't know. You ought to assume that God has brought you in contact with that person for, with an opportunity to tell a story about Jesus. Peggy and I had lunch yesterday in San Antonio with, uh, with a couple that... I'm not, I'm not going to tell you. It could be a long story. But a guy who reached out to me online because I still run some online training businesses uh, that I thought were going to be easy. Turns out... Um, I'm just I'm not going to tell that story but he reached out to me uh, with some questions about one of the online training businesses that I, I still babysit for Mr. Baker's wife and um, one thing led to another and now I've, I, I've met him twice in San Antonio because he wants some advice about um, training businesses and how to set them up. Um, this guy is way more successful in the business world than I will ever, ever be. And now just basically f- something fun to do. He wants to share his expertise and start a training business. Um, wonderful. They're a wonderful couple. Very, very warm and very friendly. But I, I know that that. God hasn't just brought Peggy and I into their lives to teach him how to teach sexual harassment training. Um, God has connected us with them to bless them somehow. Um, and so now I'm really praying about where this is going to go and what's going to happen, but it's almost like I got snatched out of Marble Falls and sent to San Antonio just to meet these people. Uh, and never for a second did I assume that, oh, this is an opportunity to help somebody learn how to teach sexual harassment training because why? Why would that be it? Uh, that may be what they are seeing as the need, but I know God's... I'm not sure what's going to happen next, but... We're yeah, but we're friends now, and they're wonderful people. And... I think they've probably got a relationship with Jesus, but this may be an opportunity for God to just do something special. So whenever, whenever something happens in your life that you're not really expecting, never think it's just a coincidence or an accident. In the kingdom of God, there are no coincidences. What's that uh, um, Leroy Jethro gives? That's one of his rules, right? There are no such things as coincidences that's rule something uh, rule 32 or something like that in the kingdom of God there are no coincidences God God never wastes time he never wastes resources he never wastes your time or your resources he's always doing something just wake up the next time you're in the middle of the desert and you see a chariot just no, that God 
If you didn't expect to see a chariot and you didn't expect to be in the desert, just know that you're exactly where God has you and he's going to fulfill a purpose through you. And your only job is to say, cool, yes, Lord, and tell your story. Just tell your story. That's all there is. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you're so full of surprises. I thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. You're just awesome is just a poor word. It's an overused word. You inspire awe in my heart. It's not just that you're cool. You inspire awe, reverential fear. I stand in amazement that you have given me, us, each of us, in our little church, the opportunity to participate in what you are doing to establish your kingdom simply by saying, yes, Lord, letting you work and telling the story. And Lord, right now, I'm going to pray for people that maybe came in here today and they're in the desert. Not sure how they got there, not sure how they're going to get out, not sure what to do. Lord, I pray that you would speak to them with a clear voice that that they would have their, their eyes opened and their hearts softened and their ears unstopped to be able to hear from you so they will know what you're doing and know where to go. Speak words of encouragement and confidence and strength right now. And Lord, I pray that you would just release hope into these hearts as a gift from your spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.